0: om shanno mitraśyam varuṇaḥ shanno bhavatvaryamā shanna indra brahaspatiḥ shanno viṣṇu namo brahmaṇe namaste vāyo tvameva pratyakṣam brahmāsi Vamibhav Pratyakshambhrahmavadishyami Ritamadishyami Satyamadishyami Tanma (coughs) Mavadu Tadvaktaram Mavadu Avatuvaktaram Shantishanti Om Sahana Vavadu Sahana Bhunatu Sahavir Shantishanti, Shantishanti, Om Yas Chanda Samrishabhavishwarupa, Chanda Bhya तस्य bhuyasam shariram me vicharshanam jikhvam me madhu mattamam karna abhyam bhuri Shānte Shānte Om Aham Rakshaśyare Riva Kirte Prashthaṃgirare Riva Urdhva Vājini Vasvamrdhama Smedraviñagum Savarchasam Sumedha Amrita Kshidaha Ititra Saṃkhaur Vedānu Vachanam Shanti Shanti Om Poornam Adap Poornam Pūrāṇasya Pūrāṇamādāya Pūrāṇam eva-vaśasyadayam Om Shānti 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 Shruti Smṛti Purāṇanām Ālayam karunālayam Namāmi Bhagavat Pāda Shankaram Loka Shankaram shankaram shankaraacharyam keshavam badarayanam sutra bhashya krutau vanne anta upanapunaha eeshwara gururaatme re murti bheda vibhagine vyoma vyapta dehaaya Dakshinā murtaye namah. Akhandam satchidānandam, avaṅg manasa gocharam, ātmāna makhilādhāram, ātmāna makhilādhāram, ātmāna Asraye bhishta siddh hai, arthata upyadvayanandan, arthata upyadvayanandan, atita dvaita bhanadaha, atita dvaita bhan. Guru na radhya vedanta, guru na vedanta, saram vakshya yathamade, In the discussion of Niyama, the rules, all the particular disciplines, the practices, let us say, that one should observe, a spiritual seeker should observe in one's life, or in fact anybody should observe just to be a happy person, adisyaucha santosa tapas swadhyaya ishwara pranidhanani niyamaha. Shaucha has we discussed the purity or cleanliness both outward as well as inward, external as well as interior. Santosha, contentment, a certain attitude towards life of contentment that things as they are are fine. This is not only with what we get but in general that as things are, they are in order. In fact, this contentment comes from appreciation of an order that obtains. In what is otherwise called good, bad or indifferent, everything is in order. And it is not merely that the mind accepts this. Maybe at some point in time it may just accept that there is an order. That there is a faith. Of course, if you don't see this fact, if you don't see this fact that everything is in order, then there is a, it's a matter of trust, shraddha, that it is all creation of God and therefore everything is in order. So, therefore, no complaints and no blaming and no sense of retaliation, no sense of rejection, no dissatisfaction with anything, this is santosha. That is a great state of mind. It is said that all the, ha- the person who is greedy is never happy, and person who is content can never be unhappy. So, this contentment is, of course, uh, is something that shows the maturity of the mind. It should be out of an understanding. Uh, ...understanding that everything is fine because it is all created by God. And therefore, whatever He creates is fine. Whatever He gives me is fine. Whatever He does not give me is equally fine. Because in every gain there is a loss. So if I did not gain something, well, okay. I was also saved from having to go... having to have that loss. So, logical ways also there are of looking at it. Devotional way of looking at it is, it is all God's creation and therefore... I accept whatever His judgment, I accept in every situation. That every karma phala, or result of an action is His judgment. Every situation that gets created moment to moment is all His judgment. And therefore, I accept it, happily accept it. This calls for shraddha and bhakti, a, a devotion as well as the trust. <clears throat> so this will bring about santosha or contentment in our life. Contentment the way things are. Contentment does not mean passivity. Contentment does not mean that I don't do a given thing. Contentment meaning understanding that everything is in order. If in a given situation there is something that I should do, well, I should go ahead and do because that is my duty. So that's another thing, that I have a duty to perform, I have a certain role to perform, and accordingly if a given situation calls for a certain response from me, well, I respond accordingly. Within my own self also contentment there would be as i say just to be to accept our own self also that the body is what it is that the mind is what it is and therefore there is no fight against the mind also there's no battle internally or externally when the santosha or contentment is and then whatever i do will not be a reaction but it will be an action so if i accept my own mind also fine Uh, it has as we said some virtues and it has some limitations and we accept them. Except in the sense that we understand them. And now what should I do? Is there something I can do about it? Yes, then I go ahead and do it. So when I understand that a given thing should be done, if I still don't do it, well that's a different that's not contentment. There is laziness or lethargy or whatever. But contentment is simply an understanding that in the mind there are certain reactions, there are jealousies and there is anger and there is all this is there. Okay, it is there because of ignorance and because of the ego and the false notions created from ignorance. And so all of these have accumulated over course of so many, this countless births is all there and we have to work with it. <coughs> so that will enable me to do some, whatever is needed to be done with my own self also. So santosha, a great thing, contentment. Generally santosha or contentment is often misunderstood is misunderstood as negative attitude or some in you know, attitude or passive, you know, acceptance of everything, swallowing everything. But that is not so. Each one of these values in fact reflects Viveka or discrimination or understanding. And so Santapaha said austerity. And austerity also is defined as single pointedness of the mind, therefore keeping always our mind focused upon our goal and accordingly, constantly uh, monitoring, let us say. Constantly monitoring our life in keeping with the goal that is there would be called tapaha. Then we go to swadhyaya. Swadhyaya is study of the scriptures. So swadhyaya, study of the scriptures. So here pranava japaha. Upanishad gruntavartischa. Swadhyaya means repetition. In fact, swadhyaya means one's own branch of Veda. So there is a statement in the Vedas which says, Svadhyaya Adhyedavyaya. One should learn one's own branch of Veda, because everyone comes from some, or everyone can trace their ancestry to some or the other sage, and therefore there is always an association of one or the other Veda, one of the four Vedas, or one of the recensions of the Vedas, in there, one should study. So repetition of the Veda is called Swadhyaya. Or repetition of holy formulas also is Swadya Mantra. So a repetition of this. Uh, of, of any formula is also called Swadhyaya. Or a repetition of certain stotra, like or repetition of certain texts like Bhagavad Gita. So keep repeating that or chanting, recital, that also would be called Swadhyaya. So recital, repetition of a mantra, which is what we call Japa, or chanting the hymns, chanting prayers, all of this would fall in the category of Swadhyaya. And this chanting or repetition, or Japa as it is called, so Japa includes even repeated repetition of Purusha Suktam, Rudram. And whatever, all of this is in the in the category of Swadhyaya. In this chanting, Lord Krishna gives a great deal of importance to this Japa, repetition or recital. Yajñāram, Japa Yajnasmi. Lord Krishna says in the 10th chapter of Bhagavad Gita that among all the Yajnas or among all the sacrifices, I am Japa. Japa means repeating the name or repeating the mantra or reciting. <coughs> There is a Yajna. Yajna is an act of sacrifice. A sacrificial ritual is called Yajna. So this is also the best sacrificial ritual Lord Krishna says. Because ordinary sacrificial ritual involves lot of materials. And involves offering, involves himsa, you know, it involves definitely some violence. And here this does not involve any violence at all. Repetition of a holy name or a formula. It doesn't involve. You know, it all brings about purification. If there is violence, there is violence of ignorance, you know, meaning, and the products of ignorance. So Yagnanam Japa Lord Krishna says, "I am the Jap Japa Yagna among all the yajnas So that is Swadhyaya. And it says, "Upanishad Grantha Vrttischa," or even repetition of Upanishad. So many people repeat this, like Taitriya Upanishad. So, Taittiriya Upanishad is a part of uh, yajurveda Veda, Krishna, Yajurveda And it has those swaras. And the is, is a Shanti mantra for this Taittiriya Upanishad. And, that, and the Krishna, Yajur Veda. <coughs> so, repetition of this. Grantha Upanishad, Garanthav Uttis. Or, take the text of Vedanta, Take the text, particularly Upanishad. Why Upanishad? Because it is Veda. And Vedas are sacred. And never repeating the sacred mantras also brings about an inner purification the idea of japa or repeating this sacred formula or holy names is nothing but inner purification so come we are as good as a company that we keep so what the mind is all the time associated with is a company that it keeps and therefore, if in the mind there constantly goes on this kind of repetition of, of Lord's name, then that is the company that the mind keeps. And Pavitranam Pavitramyo Mangalanam Chamangalam. It is said about Lord, He is Pavitranam Pavitramya, one who is the, most, the sacred, or most sacred among all the sacred. Mangalanam Chamangalam, one who is the most auspicious among all the auspicious. So Lord is the most sacred of all the sacred things. So in India we look upon many things as sacred, like Ganges is sacred, Himalayas sacred, and so on and so forth. But then what is it that imparts even the sacredness to these things? That Ganges has the ability to purify us, or Himalayas has the ability to instill in us a certain devotion and, and you know, peace and silence. What is it that enables them to to create this kind of an impact? is nothing but love. Therefore, it is like uh, adding some impure water into the pure water. Like the Ganges is flowing, and many small streams meet these Ganges. Among them, there are many sewage also. You know, in, in India, after all, from the villages, only the, the, the sewage from the village also flows into Ganges. It's all there. But this little, this dirty stream of sewage also, when it mixes with Ganges, becomes Ganges. Its impurity is gone, it becomes Ganges. And so, so our mind is like a stream of sewage, you know, with all kinds of stuff in that. And what is God's name or its thought is? Like that Ganges. And they are merging into him, merging all the impurities of our mind into that, so that is how the purification takes place. And so, this is Satsanga. If you don't have any physical company of anything, you can always keep company of Lord through His name, through repetition of His name. Satsang. company of the good or company of the Lord, has a great value. <clears throat> so whatever you can say about Japa or repeating the name is not going to be sufficient. And every tradition, this is there, every tradition. In Christianity, of course, it is a religion, it's a, it's a tradition of devotion. And it's a tradition of prayer. Christianity can be looked upon primarily as bhakti yoga, because it is prayer. And then also, repeating the name, the rosary, and repeating the prayers, even repeating the name, Hail Mary, or Jesus Christ, or whatever. And many saints have done this, and they have demonstrated the effectiveness of this. So if you cannot do anything else, then also, this much one can always do, at any time. And that much freedom we have. You may not be able to do exercise, or may not be able to do yoga asanas, meditation, concentration, all kinds of things We may not be able to do. But this one thing we can always do, keep on repeating the name. And repetition with devotion, of course, is much more effective than merely mechanical, mechanical, you know, mechanical repetition. But even if it is mechanical repetition, it is always still okay. Because mind is mechanical, and constantly things are repeated in the mind, understand? Every moment as a thought occurs, it is nothing but repetition of a certain idea or repetition of a certain name. And they say that the name and form are inseparable. For every form that obtains, obtain, there is always a corresponding name. And therefore, as different thoughts occur in my mind, the thought of a tree and the thought of the hall and the thought of... Whatever these thoughts keep on occurring in my mind, there is constantly in my mind a repetition of the corresponding names. I may not be aware of it but every form is always associated with a name or a concept and therefore as different thoughts flow in my mind constantly these names are being repeated so my mind is always accustomed to repeating names repeating concepts every name is associated with a concept so what I do is I deliberately plan a certain flow of thought and this is what we have to do in order to channelize our energy in order to purify our mind We have to infuse pure or holy thoughts in them and that is most effectively done by constantly infusing this name of God. Whichever name you like and keep repeating that and this is how. And in course of time the devotion will come. Maybe in the beginning there is no great deal of devotion but that is the beauty of this. The beauty is that you even repeat mechanically. Repeat for the sake of repetition and in course of time that's law lord krishna explains that psychology when you dwell upon any object for length of time then a liking for it arises so if you keep on repeating anything for a length of time the liking arises that liking general liking slowly and slowly becomes a desire and becomes a passion Although Lord Krishna describes in Gita that in negative sense there, talking about the sense objects and how the passions arise from them. But the same thing is true for God also. If mind can cultivate a liking for sense objects, it can also cultivate liking for God. It may be more difficult. The general tendency of the sense objects is all external, extrovert. And there is a natural inclination towards the sense pleasures. And therefore, to cultivate that liking for sense objects is much easier for the mind. And to develop the liking for God is going to be certainly, perhaps will take a long time. But mind has a capability of liking. It has a capability of love, naturally. It has a capability of passion. And this capability, which at the moment is all squandered away by its love and fascination for the sense pleasures and sense objects, is all to be channelized. This alone is called sublimation of our energy. That passion is there and it's all flowing out right now. The passion in flowing out in the form of the sexual energy is the ultimate flowing out. But moment, every moment it is flowing out. Every moment my mind runs to the organs of perception and goes and contacts the objects and fondles with them. It is a kind of nothing but a, you know. Uh, it is also the same kind of an association. And therefore. Our mind at the moment is like a river, which is flowing from inside out. It is said that the seat of the mind is in the heart. And from that source which is the heart, the mind runs out through the five doors which are there in our body. These five doors are the five organs of perception. The ears and eyes and taste and whatever. And from there the the streams or the river of the mind is constantly flowing out and running into the sense objects. This is how constantly our energy is being exhausted away, squandered away. And unless we make a positive effort, unless we recognize this mechanism, and unless we do something positive about it, it's not going to be automatically that mind becomes subiring. And therefore, to bring back the mind, bring back all that energy and channelize within, is what is devotion. It's, it's all yoga practices. So yoga is only that. And therefore, Repeating that name constantly does that. At least mind at that time does not think of a sense object or a sense pleasure. Or when I am repeating that name at least the mind does not have those thoughts of anger and jealousy and greed and whatever it is. So at least during that time the mind is free from all the samsara. One may say, no Swamiji that is not so. Mind keeps getting distracted and therefore even Japa also is not studying. doesn't matter. We are not going to be worried about the, the difficulties that there are in the mind. The mind is fickle, it is restless, and it is accepted. And we are not going to worry about it. We are going to accept it as it is. And patiently and kindly we are going to work with it. Like working with a child. You can be very strict with a child and force the child to do things, but then it doesn't work. If you work, if you uh, deal with the child with affection and concern, then you can you can train the child. And so also we have to just train our mind. The poor mind so far on account of its wrong values and priorities has been doing what it is doing. The fact that it is running out seeking fulfillment and seeking satisfaction outwardly and that it is all this kind of thing with anger and jealousy etc. is because so far we thought that that is the proper thing to do. And now all of a sudden you want to turn around it is not going to happen that right away the mind turns around. Like a motor car is running at 70 miles an hour and all of a sudden you want to take a turn, you turn. It's not going to happen right away. You have to apply the brake and slowly make a turn. And similarly also the mind will offer resistance because we want to turn it around. And so with kindness and patience one has to keep on working with one's mind. But we have to do that and Japa is the most effective Japa repeating name is the most effective thing which is which does not require any qualification at all everything else requires qualification the yoga also requires qualification Prayama requires great qualification study of scriptures requires very great qualification this meditation about Nirguna and Brahman we are talking about great qualification is required but this repeating name is in the same direction because understand that, even if, if every name stands for Saguna Brahma, that name also stands for Nirguna Brahma. Every name has this. Whether it's Shiva, Rama, Krishna, Ganapati, Dakshinamur, whatever name. Each name stands for a certain form, and therefore what we call Saguna Brahma or Brahman with attributes. But at the same time, each name also stands for Nirguna Brahma. Because that from where the name arises... That from where the sound arises is silence. And therefore, the source of that arising is silence and that is Nirguna. And therefore, every name also means Nirguna Brahma also. Just as Omkara, as we are discussing in the evening, Omkara means Saguna Brahma. If you analyze that word, you know, Akara, Ukara Makara and how Omkara Dhava stands for all the three states of experience all the gross, subtle in the causal worlds all the creation, sustenance, dissolution how all this triputi, this triad is all indicated by this omkara but where creation is, the cause of creation has to be where the pot is, the clay has to be if the pot is with form the clay which is in and through the pot is without form so material cause can never be the effect can never be apart from the cause and therefore uh, whenever you appreciate an effect you also knowingly or unknowingly appreciate the material cause also. So whenever we appreciate the saguna brahma, meaning the brahma with qualities, that substratum which is without the qualities is there, whether we make a note of it or not. And then we need not worry about saguna nirguna also. And anyway, how we look upon the name is up to us. It depends on the disposition of a given mind. If a mind is disposed to dwell upon qualities, let it do so. If the mind is disposed upon dwelling on that which is without form or qualities, fine. That also is okay. What is required in that dwelling is as much devotion and commitment as we have. More effective it is, and that devotion and commitment arises slowly and slowly as this practice of japa or repetition continues. So, understand, sage, Padmanabha, in yoga shastra, we are talking about the yoga here. And how yoga considers swadhyaya and Ishvara pranidhana as so important. <coughs> so swadhyaya, you said, ensure in, in our mind repeating that which is holy, that which is sacred. Upanishad grantha, Vrttischa, even repetition of Upanishads. So many people do this every day. They repeat Upanishads, like short Upanishads are there, Mandukya Upanishad, just twelve mantras. Karvalya Upanishad 24 mantras Ishavasya Upanishad 18 mantras People repeat this in course of their normal swadhyaya <coughs> Or you can open the Upanishad from beginning to end Isha, Kena, Katha, Prasna You can keep on repeating that That also is beautiful Because repetition of Upanishad has Number one Since it is Veda Therefore these mantras are all sacred And number two That Upanishad's Reveal the self. And therefore, when you repeat those mantras, automatically the idea of the self is contained in them, and therefore that contemplation also goes on simultaneously. And therefore, often repetition of this text is a very effective thing. In India this is done all the time. Bhagavad Gita, they keep on repeating that'swadhyaya. Keep repeating Bhagavad Gita. In most of the houses in well you will find some member or the other who repeats Bhagavad Gita one chapter a day or like that, you know, they have a program, some people repeat Gita over, over seven days, some people do it one chapter a day, and whatever it is, so repeating Gita, and there are many other texts, like Ramayana, people repeat that, Ramayana is the text describing the glories of Lord Ramana, they repeat that, Bhagavatam, the text describing the glories of Lord Narayana, repeat that, so this is very prevalent in India, and it's a very beautiful thing, and Fortunately, the advantage there is that all these things are composed in metrical forms. So, there is that gayatva ge- meaning that you can sing them. The nice thing about these compositions in metrical forms is that you can sing. There are not many passages that you would repeat, you know, because repetition of passages is not as interesting to the mind as repeating something that is, that is a melody and which is a rhythm and so. These Ramayana, Mahabharata, Bhagavatam, uh, all the texts, everything in India, all Sanskrit texts are composed in meters. And subsequently texts which are composed in other languages, you know, like there is a text called Ramacharitmanas, which is the Ramayana written in Hindi, in colloquial Hindi in fact, but that is also composed in meters. And people in North India repeat that. There isn't the a text called Narayani, which is one thousand verses in praise of Lord Narayana. is composed in Sanskrit, one of the most beautiful compositions, in beautiful meters. So there are groups where they repeat this. This Narayani is a very beautiful text. It has one hundred cantos. Each canto is, it conserves ten verses. So thus we have one thousand verses. And the beauty there is, every canto has a different meter. And ever you, you recite this, one canto is over and the meter changes. And the canto is over the meter, therefore the mind keeps on getting the varieties, different moods are created. And when a group of people repeat that, it is just heaven, you know. So, these recitals are some of the most beautiful things. And all of that falls in the category of Swadhyaya. Then there is a great system in India called Kirtan, repeating Lord's name loudly. A great teacher. His name was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of which all these con people are the followers. He, inst- he initiated this whole idea of loudly repeating the name of Lord. Repeat, sing, dance, you know. Involve your whole being in that. And that is how Kirtan. Kirtan means singing the name, singing the glories. So all of these forms of worship are very common in India. <coughs> Not only very common, very highly developed also. All of that will fall in the category of swadhyaya. And, it, and, and we know that when we subject ourselves to a certain atmosphere, it has an impact upon our mind. As you've seen on Shivaratri, when a whole day you keep on repeating Om Namah Shivaya, then it, ha- it builds up a certain atmosphere, certain vibrations, if you want to use that word. Naturally, whenever you utter a word, when you utter something, or when you even think, it has an effect upon the environment. And when many people do it, then the effect becomes, uh, you know, effect becomes very uh, strong. And that is how even some of these texts and some of the mantras have gathered a great power. Like this mantra called Gayatri. This is repeated since thousands of years in India by thousands of people. So imagine how many times the mantra must have been repeated, billions and billions of times. And when a mantra gets repeated like that by so many people, then it it gathers about itself a certain power. And therefore, these names and all these things have their own effect. And when you repeat them, or when you subject yourself to this kind of recitals, expose yourself to these recitals, then it creates that positive effect upon the mind. So, this is what is known as swadhyaya. Either repeating the names, repeating the hymns, repeating the stotras, repeating the Upanishads, Repeating sacred texts, repeating repetition is called swadhyaya. Or of course, study of the scriptures also is called swadhyaya. So this is also swadhyaya. Study of scriptures also is called swadhyaya. And generally speaking, that now is understood as primary meaning of the word (coughs) swadhyaya. So study of upanishads study of Vedanta. All of this is Swadhyaya. And you engage your mind in the study. So this constantly involves reflection, deliberation, contemplation upon the self. So study the scriptures meaning the mind is always focused upon the self. So what the Swadhyaya does is enables us to, to uh, keep the mind focused. And so repeating a name also does that, Reciter also does that, study of the scriptures also does that. So all that is Swadhyaya. <clears throat> of course, as far as Yoga Shastra is concerned, Swadhyaya is repeating this mantra, Aum. Oh. That is what uh, Patanj- Sage Patanjali says. Tassyavachagaha Pranavaha. In Yoga Shastra, Sage Patanjali Uh, says who is God God is Purusha Visheshah God is that exalted being who is free from all the limitations and all the defects he is endowed with omniscience he is endowed with omniscience and all the all the very most exalted thing and he is the one that is free from all the limitations that is God and how do you and, and his worship his repetition his name how do you do that Om is, of course, that is that calls in the category of next one, Ishwara Pranidhanam. So, Swadhyaya and Ishwara Pranidhanam in that sense may not be much different. So, we might say Swadhyaya is repetition of uh, the study of the scriptures and Ishwara Pranidhanam. Ishwara Pranidhanam is meditation on God. So, what we say in Japa can also be included in Ishwara Pranidhanam or meditation or worship of God. Ishwara Pranidhanam worship of God so repetition the Japa can also be part of this Ishwara Pranidhanam then if Swadhyaya is interpreted as study of the scriptures then Ishwara Pranidhanam will be a repetition of his name or meditation upon God and how do you meditate upon God with the help of a symbol and what's the symbol that is recommended in Yoga Shastra Om Pranava Tasyavachakah Pranavaha. This pranavah, or om, avati the om, that which protects us is om. And so om is the name of God. And it is the most ancient word. They say that the whole creation has evolved from this primordial sound, om. And therefore, if you keep on repeating om, then you can go back to the source. See, this is the idea. That you want to go back to the source of everything. Source is God from whom the whole creation is emerged and which is the true nature of the creation. So how do you direct, focus your attention on that source? By repeating this Om, Om, Om. And what is so special about Om? That ultimately, Lord is devoid of all the attributes. In its ultimate nature, God is devoid of all the attributes. And therefore, Om is a name which has minimum of articulation. Or minimum of attributes. We can say the Om is a sound which has minimum of qualification. So it is most, it is closest to the unqualified sound. If sound is totally unqualified, then you cannot utter that. And so Om is next to the unqualified sound, you may say. In that phonetic sense also, Om is the, uh, it represents or stands for what we call the primordial sound which is said to be the source of the whole creation. We also say that in the process of evolution, the five elements are created in this sequence, akasha, vayu, agni, apap, prasave. The space, air, fire, water, and earth. And the quality of space is sound. So sound is the quality of space. And therefore space is face the first element. And from there the whole creation is emerged then naturally the whole creation can be said to emerge from sound. So we find in Lord Shiva, Lord Dakshinamurthy also, has a damaru or a small drum in his hand. You know, in his right hand, Lord Shiva has a small drum, as you will see. And this drum stands for the... uh, With that, when he dances, then he plays upon his damaru. And so this drum stands for the sound, the creation. He has fire in another hand, that stands for destruction or dissolution and the drum stands for the creation. (coughs) In short sound is the cause of this creation. It can be further traced to God of course but then the primordial material cause is sound. Om represents that sound and therefore the yogis always tune themselves up to the sound Om and when the mind is really concentrated then not only they hear the sound they say that the sound is always there, it's up to you to tune yourself up. But as far as the Vedantins are concerned, they, are, they repeat Om also because Om is the name of Brahman, name of God. Saguna Brahma as well as Nirguna Brahma. And even if you do not know, it is bound to have an effect. The beauty about the name is, as we said, the name is always associated with the form. Name is always associated with the one who is named. So when you call somebody, automatically you draw their attention. When I say Tom, immediately the attention is drawn here. Because that's the magic that the name has. That name always invokes the one whose name it is. So when you say Ram, well automatically Rama, whatever is, so he's invoked. Om, when you say, then one who stands for Om, namely Brahma, or God, is invoked. So that's the magic about name. And even if you do not know what Brahman is, even then you know that Om is God. And therefore you look upon that very name as God. And with devotion if you repeat, then it also ultimately becomes a means for knowledge of God. And therefore Patanjali says, Samadhi Ishwara Pranidhanam. In fact the Ishwara Pranidhanam or worship of Lord Ultimately leads to Samadhi. You you can bypass all the rest of the steps. And right here, repetition of the name of Lord or worship of meditation upon Lord with the help of this name or this symbol Pranava leads to Samadhi if you keep on doing that. In short, the rest of the steps will be followed automatically. They will be developed automatically. The thing is, when you repeat this, when you do this Japa, the prime automatically takes place, you know. When it's om, om, or, or whatever, rama, or whatever, then automatically the rhythm of the breathing also goes along with it. And therefore, automatically pranayama takes place. And as the mind gets focused, the prana also gets focused. If the mind fo- is focused on one point, then the prana also gets focused on that point. And therefore, in repetition of the name, the pranayama automatically follows. And whatever the yoga shastra seeks to achieve through other practices, that gets achieved by this repetition of name with devotion. So this is Ishwara Pranidhanam, meditation on God. You can say, worship of God. And of course, worship can be in other ways also. So, versus Sarvakriyam Param paramagaru arpanam tratvala sanyasova Ishwara Pranidhanam, a worship of Lord, is also explained as Sarvakriyanam Paramaguru Arpanam There is the, the commentator there says that worship of Lord also is offering of all your actions to the Lord who is Paramaguru, who is the first teacher. So Interestingly, sage Patanjali identifies Lord, God as the first teacher. Why? Because he was always there before anything was created. He is the one who is, who is permanent. Lord is the one who is eternal, uncreated. And therefore, he was there even before this creation was. And therefore, he is the first teacher. So, Lord is referred to as Paramaguru in Yoga Shastra. Paramaguru is the the first and ultimate teacher. So, Paramaguru, Savakriyanam Arpanam, offering of all the actions to that Paramaguru or to that ultimate teacher is also called Ishwara Pranidhanam. In that sense, what we call Karma Yoga is Ishwara Pranidhanam. Karma Yoga means performing actions as an offering to the Lord. Patphala Sanyasova. If you cannot do that, if you cannot offer your actions to God because you still have things to do, let us say people may not be able to offer everything to God, you know. Offering action to God means offering everything to Him. Whatever I have, I am offering to Him. Whatever I have is expressed in the form of my actions. and therefore, offering my actions to Lord is offering myself to Lord. If I don't need anything else, so ultimate worship is offering myself to God. Offering my ego to God. What ultimately stands between us and God is what? The ego. And how do we... That is an obstacle. The ego is the obstacle. Understand that ego is a sense of individuality, which brings about the sense of possession, which brings about the likes, dislikes, and all the other evils. And these are the obstacles to, obstacles between ourselves and God. And therefore, removal of obstacles is offering this constantly at the feet of Lord. And therefore, how do I offer that ego? That ego has various desires. and ego wants to perform various actions. So the ego is expressed constantly in the form of either physical, oral, or mental actions. And these actions are offered to the Lord. Therefore, that is how we offer ourselves to Him. As Lord Krishna says, Sarva dharman mamekam saranam vraja." Giving up all pursuits, may you take refuge unto me alone. Says Bhagavad Gita, Yat karo si, Yad karosi, yad juhoshi, yad juhosi Yet tapasya sikaunte, tat kurushva madarpanam. He Arjuna, whatever you do, you offer to me. Yet karoshi, whatever you do, offer to me. Yet whatever you eat, also offer to me. Yet so whatever you perform as sacrifice, you know, whatever you offer in sacrifice, then also you offer to me. Dadasya, whatever you give in charity, offer to me. Yet tapasya whatever you perform by way of austerity or parents, offer to me. So, yajna, dana, tapaha. These are the three spiritual practices that Gita recommends. Yajna, dana, tapaha. Yajna is sacrifice, rituals. Dana, charity. And tapa, austerity. All of these, may you, of tat kurushva may you perform that in such a manner that it becomes offered to me. This action is constantly an expression of our being. And when these actions are offered to the Lord, it is equivalent to offering ourselves to the Lord. How else do you offer yourself to Him? What do you do? do you fall yourself at His feet? How do you fall at His feet? In this manner. What I am is nothing but the various actions being performed by me. And actions represent whatever inner energies I have. And that of, that is offering to the Lord. So offering myself to the Lord is called... Ishwara pranidhanam or worship of the Lord. In which case I don't need anything. Offering means is done without any expectation. That is the real offering. All actions are offered without any expectation. Nishkama karma or selfless action offered to the Lord is the ideal Ishwara pranidhanam or worship of Lord. But suppose we cannot do that till there is selfishness inside, still there are needs and demands, and if I want things in life, then what do I do? Tat that tat All right. If you cannot offer the actions, tat sova. It is offer the results to the Lord. Offering results to the Lord is accepting the results as the Lord provides. That is called offering the results to the Lord. Prasadabuddhim. So, receive everything as, as gift from God, or as grace of God. So the prasada buddhi or this karma yoga, so performance of action as an offering or receiving the results as is prasada, what we call karma yoga is Ishwara pranidhanam. So yoga shastra also talks about devotion and karma very briefly, very briefly, but in this swadhyaya and Ishwara pranidhanam, the worship of the Lord as well as making offering to the Lord, surrender to the Lord. Is something that is implied here. So actually, yoga shastra essentially follows the philosophy of sankhya. But sankhyas did not have a place for God. The purely philosophers, and therefore they talked of the two degree of two degrees of reality. One is the purusha, other is prakriti, the spirit and the matter, were the two realities. And according to sankhya, the matter itself has the capability of creating. In response to the needs of the purusha. This is how the Sankhya's uh, explain this the creation. But Yoga Shastra accepts God. So it's called there is That is a so Nirishvara Sankhya. And this is Seishwara Sankhya. Yoga is Seishwara meaning with Ishwara. So Seish Patanjali accepts Ishwara. Although his concept of Ishvara also is incomplete in as much as. He still looks upon Ishwara as someone different from us. And someone different from the world. Okay which is what most of the religions look upon also. Vedanta says, of course, that Ishvara is not someone away from me, is intimately associated with me, is my very being. But then, in any case, uh, sage Patanjali talks about worship of Ishwara. And worship always involves devotion and surrender. Patram pushpam phalam toyam yome bhaktya Prachati, Lord Krishna says, it doesn't matter to me what you offer. What you offer is not very important. Offer whatever you have. You are poor, you don't have anything, doesn't matter. Patram, can you offer a leaf? This is in the context of Indian situation. They're all right, there are this forest, you can always go and get some leaves and offer to me. So you find that in every worship there is always offering of flowers and offering of even leaves. Every day he has a favorite leaf. Like Lord Krishna's favorite leaf is uh, bilva. There is a tree called bilva. It's a tree that grows, you know, wild in forest and you can get plenty of them. Bilva Patram. Lord Krishna or Narayana loves Tulasi, one of the plants here, you know, Tulasi. So, you offer that. You need not have this Naivedya also. If you don't have raisins, it doesn't matter. Have some water. Have a little leaf. Get a fruit from somewhere. Fine. That also is available. Patram pushpam phalam toyam. Patra, a leaf. Push for a flower follow a fruit, throw them some water, You, which are available freely. I mean, you don't have to even possess them. That's the reason why in India, you know, in the olden days, in the morning people used to go to the river to take their bath, because there was no water supply, I mean, 50, 75 years ago, and after taking bath in the river, then they carry with them one pot of water, which they fill, and then bring it back, to their home or go to the temple and offer that water of river to the Lord. So offer water. It, the idea is offering something. Yome, Bhaktia, Whoever offers me this with devotion. tadaham Bhakti parutam Ashnami The devotee may wonder, will the Lord receive accept my offering? This is such a insignificant offering. And will the Lord accept my offering? He says, Yes. Whatever offering is made with devotion, I accept it, you know, and accept it with great happiness. So important thing is offering in our life. The whole idea of yoga, karma yoga, is offering our own self, which is ego, through actions, through karma phala, and thus it develops a general attitude of offering. So Ishwara pranidhanam also includes that. As Shankaracharya says, yadyat karma karo mitat tadakilam, Oh Lord, whatever, hey Lord Shiva, whatever action I perform, may it become your worship. <clears throat> Ishwara Pranidhanam says, Samadhi, Ishwara Pranidhanam. Ishwara Pranidhanam can also mean this uh, uh, worship, mental worship. It can also mean uh, Karma Yoga, offering our actions. It can also mean Prasad Buddhi, receiving the results as His grace tamha devam atma buddhip prakasam there is a mantra in this Shvetashwada Rupanishad which says yogram haanam vidadhadi purvam yogaya vedam saprahinoditasmay the lord who first of all creates brahma the creator and then endows him with the knowledge of the vedas tamha devam atma buddhip that they were god where is he atma buddhi prakasham that it eliminates my buddhi which eliminates my mind which eliminates my thoughts or which is always eliminated in my mind the form of knowledge mumukshur Sharana sharanamaham I the mumukshu seek his refuge so I the seeker seek the refuge of that lord who all the time illumines the thoughts in my mind or who gets eliminated as various forms of knowledge in my mind who is the one who is even created the creator, having having manifested the creator, endowed the creator with even the knowledge, meaning one who is omniscient. That Lord, Mamukshruvay, Sharana prapadye. Either the Mamuksru or the seeker, take his refuge, surrender to him. <coughs> so this surrendering with devotion is the spirit of worship called Ishvara Pranidhanam. All of these fall in the category of preparations, understand. The Ashtanga Yoga they are talking about, but this is all the preparations. And as Sage Patanjali says, this one step itself is enough. Any one of the step is enough to take you to the ultimate goal. In fact, in Yoga Shastra they talk about what is the achievements at every step. It is said that the ahimsa are the non-violence, you practice it to the extreme. Then you become to an embodiment of non-violence. And then it says in your presence there will be no violence at all. There will be such an impact of your personality that there will be no violence in your presence. And people will forget their violence. Even those who, who are by nature, you know, inimical to each other. Like certain animals and whatever, or even people, all of them will forget their enmity. That is the power of this non Everything is powerful satya suppose you practice truthfulness speaking truth and being truthful a day will come when your words will become truthful today I have to speak what is truthful ultimately what I speak will become truth you know so that is what they say as far as the rushis and sages are concerned the the reality goes after them the truth is after them for an ordinary person he follows the truth and for a sage Who has mastered that the truth follows him. meaning whatever he says becomes truth that's the reason why we go to the great sages and worship them serve them and seek their blessing if they bless us then it just becomes reality so satya the truthfulness has that power asteya non-stealing suppose in your mind the idea of of acquiring anything that doesn't belong to you that goes away If non-stealing becomes rooted in your, your, you're rooted in your, in the non-stealing. Then it says, you'll get all the wealth. See, interestingly, stealing is coveting. I want this, I want this. What doesn't belong to me, I want. I want that, I want that, I want that. It doesn't belong to me. This is all stealing, mentally. When the mind has no such I thought of stealing at all, then says, all the wealth comes to you. Brahmacharya, suppose you follow continence perfectly in the, in the act, thought, word and deed, then all the spiritual energy arises from within. So all the energies conserved gets sublimated. And aparigraha, aparigraha if you don't uh, have any possession at all, meaning you don't possess anything that is not necessary, that aparigraha, ultimately Patanjali would say not possessing anything. He talks of extremes, actually, which may sound very impractical. He says, ahim, non-violence means non-violence under any conditions. That vrata or the vow of non-violence can rise to such an extent that at no time or place or under no condition will I violate. Whether you starve, whether you die also, then also you do not violate. Suppose that is extreme of non-violence, then these powers come. So all of these become maha when Desha and the Niyama, and Kala and the Sthiti, if you don't take, you don't normally when we follow these vows, they are always qualified. That I will speak truth under these conditions, but under that other condition, I will violate that. So I am willing to speak truth as long as certain convenient conditions are satisfied. Patanjali says that ultimately these vows they expand to such an extent that you uh, perform them without regard to day t- time and place or condition then you really establish in them then all the inherent powers which are there within all of them become not that these powers come from elsewhere all of these are there in the mind and all of them become manifest and so also shaucha santosha tapaḥa, swadhyaya ishvara pranidhanam each one of them shaucha or cleanliness or purity So when you maintain that purity outwardly and then purity of the mind says that you will be detached from this body. Right now this body is the self and I am highly attached to the body. This very purification of the body outward and purification of the mind will bring about a detachment a dispassion for this body. And when there is dispassion from this body there is dispassion from all other bodies also. And therefore this is how there will be dispassion of vairagya from the body and viragi from the next birth also see as long as there is an attachment to this body naturally I am already planning for the next birth because attachment to body will continue from this birth to another birth when I become detached from the body that means that ground is created from for becoming free from the cycle of birth and death santosha contentment tapaha each one of them leads to great achievements and these are also Described in Yoga Shastra, <coughs> of which Ishva Pranidhanam leads to uh, Samadhi, as Sage Patanjali says. So, these are the five niyama. So, Yama and Niyama. Yama is what we should avoid, what should we refrain from. And Niyama is what we should positively practice. The, do- the don'ts and the dos, these are the first two steps. Of this yoga leading to ultimately samadhi. The first two steps are yama and niyama. Of which the yama are more important than niyama. The first the ahimsa, satya, all of these are they should not be given up. Suppose you have to uh, make a choice. As to do this or that. Then yoga shastra says that make sure that you do not compromise your yama. Ahimsa, satya, asteya. And then also practice niyama, but the first important thing is yama and then niyama. (coughs) Okay. Om Pūraṇamada Pūraṇamidam Pūraṇā Pūraṇamudachyade Puranasya Purana Madhaya Purana Meva Vasheshyade Shankaram Shankaracharyam Kesavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrata Vande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Medi मूर्ति भेद विभाgine व्योमव व्याप्त देहय दक्षिणा Namaha नमः ॐ श्री